Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to podcast like it's 1992 the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023 I am one of your hosts Phyllis Cove and I am your special guest host Emily St. James filling in for your normal host and editor of Phil's autobiography in the future who asks him extremely leading questions (laughs) that we can't understand because we haven't read said manuscript. Uh, Perfect. Uh, With us today is Tally Medell. (laughs) Got it right this time. Actor, comedian, um, clown (laughs) as well. Yeah. And perhaps, I don't want to say most importantly, but a cast member in the Academy Award nominated Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today, Tally. I've been looking forward to this so much and I cannot believe that we all watched Chaplin as a family. <laughs> I mean, we were going to watch it inevitably, but at least... So here's my question for you, Tally. Yes. Um, Emily reached out to me and was like, Tally wants to come on the podcast. Let's send listen, her the list listen, of... Listen, I, I got I to gotta back this up a little bit. Oh, which okay. Is... Sorry. Yeah, of course. When you know, everything everywhere all at once was being just on its award streak. The good people at a 24 had a meeting and the president, they were like, how are we going to promote this film? How are we going to get this into the awards conversation? They're like, we got to get Michelle Yeoh on some things, you know, let's get Stephanie Shu out there. Let's, let's do all this stuff. And then the, the president of a 24, Mr. John a 24 himself, like held up his hand and said, the first thing we got to do, we got to get, get Tally Medell on 
podcast like it's 1992 and everyone in the room was like yes that's right absolutely of course and and not just have her on sitting in a little um and like a human-sized bird cage on my perch (laughs) where he likes to put me so i can swing and have a little cup of juice yeah and and not just have her on but for a problem movie <laughs> for a movie that has as many issues as as we could about the history of cinema but um so i sent the list of available films uh to emily she forwarded it to you emily came back to me and said she wants to do chaplain and i was like great uh chaplain fantastic uh wasn't sure if you had seen it before had you seen this film before i saw it as a child and i remember Same. thinking this is there's there's something here mm-hmm. sure I saw it a lot in 1992. Yeah, right. Like it was a weird when I hit play on. I have not watched this film probably since the mid 90s for sure. And when I hit play, I was like, "Why do I know this film so well? Like, why do I know? (laughs) Why does?" And I think it's because it was probably the first imprint of a biopic that I had ever had in my life. It set an unfortunate standard, didn't it? Weirdly, (laughs) weirdly did. Yeah. And it's yeah. It, it definitely kind of as I was watching it again I was like wow this is just like a like bad greatest hits album where it's just like they just have to like check off a bunch of boxes of preconceived notions about Chaplin I guess. I don't know. Very odd. Very odd movie. Well, I, I picked it. Go, go ahead, Emily. I go watched ahead. this with my my wife, my dang wife, uh <laughs> who's a huge Robert Downey Jr. fan and just like uh, uh, was throughout her life and uh, watched this. Uh, she said when she was babysitting once, she was like, let's just throw on Chaplin. And like, yeah, I, I think my memory, this is the first time I've ever seen this. My memory of this was like, everyone was like, well, Robert Downey Jr., that's his Oscar play. And he got nominated, you know, because that was when he was like written up as the best actor of his generation, which right, I think is yeah. arguably true. But like, excellent. And he's fantastic in this movie, and you're still like, but to what end, Robert Downey yeah. Jr.? Why? It feels like Oscar yeah. bait. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it also <sighs> feels, I mean, I, Robert Downey Jr. has obviously been very open about his vices and, and his struggles or what have you. Wonder if he remembers making this movie, because this is a movie that's like right in the pocket <laughs> of a time when like, where you're just like, I I don't I don't know I don't know why you would want to take on this role. I mean, there's a whole laundry list of people that were um, that championed for this movie, or that the studio wanted to be in this movie, from Robin Williams to Billy Crystal to Jim Carrey, all obviously overt comedians. So I can yes. understand why they would want that. But like, he's not really the tramp that much in this movie. No, <laughs> like. The handful of times he does like a comedy bit or does the like walk, it is uncanny and eerie. And it's like one of those things where you're like, well, now I get why people keep going to the well of imitating a famous person because sometimes you get like these moments of like weird magic like in that scene where he's doing all the pratfalls for dan Aykroyd, like you're like wow this is amazing but yeah like then the rest of the time he's just like a normal guy except like his makeup is like two shades paler than his skin color but they haven't touched up his hands it's shocking i mean the makeup is jaw-dropping the makeup is is something else, but I also feel like 
Um, this movie is not interested in talking about movie making, which I found sort of surprising. Mm. Like, this is Charlie Chaplin, obviously. I mean, listen, I went to film school, but I am by no means uh, a scholar in terms of the history of cinema. But obviously, I've seen, you know, a handful of his films. And they're obviously incredibly important movies that changed cinema in, in one way or another. And this movie's not interested in talking about that at all, which I was maybe that was maybe the most surprising thing for me as I was watching it. It is so weird. It sucks so bad. I hated it. I had totally hated it. Yeah. Bo- Bobby, my partner, came out and joined like halfway through and yeah. was like, what? What is this? And also, I woke up the next morning to a text from Emily that said, um, Tally, what is this movie? <laughs> and it really, it really made me laugh a lot no punctuation just the frustration and defeat that's how you know so bad yeah yeah that's how you know i've lost it as i stop using punctuation i'm just like i can feel that or she doesn't do a bit that's when you know that emily doesn't like if there's no bit involved you know that it's bad news bears i i do feel like it's also long in in a weird like it's paced it's paced in a way that so it, it should be said that that uh this movie is i guess loosely based on conversations with an editor of his before his auto before chaplin's autobiography is released a book that most people say is very kind to himself so like it doesn't really dig into the more questionable things about his life but neither does this movie really no <laughs> so yeah my issue too well okay listen again i took a full page of notes um, yeah great uh <laughs> but where are they i'll find them uh, yeah. is that anytime that he is wrong and challenged on anything he has a little speech and it um it holds his opponent in like a moment of like castigation where they're like right again Charles. <laughs> you know? like you know what i mean where it's like yeah. he's just he says something elegant and it's like he's infallible yes oh yeah yeah this, this is not a... critical of charlie chaplin really no. in any way there's a, there's a scene where he's he's married to a 16 year old played by Mila Jovovich, and like every yeah the first the first of his many marriages to teenagers, and one of his friends is like, well, she's not your intellectual equal, and I was like, I, I guess, but also she's a teenager, so of course she's not your intellectual equal, and like that is, but like they don't really like they're just like that's the worst thing. He married a woman who's kind of dumb, and you're like, what? No, that. But then at the end, he's like mean to a Nazi, so that like wipes everything out, and that's yeah. good. And I mean, it is good like, that he was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shame on you! A woman says, "Shame on you!" as he walks out of the room yeah. after he's mean stands up to the Nazi. Um, the other thing about that marriage to um, um, Mila Jovovich, yeah, is that um, well, this was a, actually this was Bobby's comment. That's right. Is like she then is cast as the villain when she tries to steal like one of his films, um, and it's like slapsticky. They make it slapsticky that they're like being chased by. A teen mother who's probably just looking to have a fair payout, Uh a minor, 
Who's yeah. been? What? <laughs> they also, I mean, there's a lot of things about that marriage that they sidestep. But one of them is that she did get pregnant and did have a child. The child just died, I think, a, a several days after being born. Oh, so it's God. like they did this kind of thing where it's like she lied and used the baby as like this whole thing. And that that was the you know reason that they got divorced or whatever. But it's for a movie that seems quite interested in his sort of like illicit affairs and what have you it doesn't dig into them either. It just kind of hopscotches around from like one woman to the next um, for reasons that are kind of unclear. He doesn't seem all that enamored with any of these people either. No. So you're just sort of like, what am I, what do you want me to be investing in? If you, if I'm not invested in his career as a, as an artist and I'm not particularly invested in any of these relationships that he flits around from one to the next, I genuinely just don't know what the film wants me to engage in. Yes, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, but let me give a little bit of context for our listeners that maybe have not seen Chaplin, a movie that uh, they shouldn't oh. watch. Um, <laughs> recreation of the life of comic genius Charlie Chaplin from his humble beginnings in South London through his early days in British vaudeville, his silent movie career in America and his late masterpieces, his turbulent personal life saw four marriages and an ex-forced and an enforced, that is, exile from the U.S., though he returned to receive an honorary Oscar in 1972. Chaplin opened on Christmas Day 1992 against A Few Good Men, Aladdin, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, The Bodyguard, and of course, the Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make $12 million on a $31 million budget, so it Ooh. was a failure. Uh, it's got 59% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 81% from audiences. So I guess audiences were just really into this movie. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film two stars and said, Chaplin is a disappointing, misguided movie that has all of the parts in place to be a much better one. Robert Downey Jr. succeeds almost uncannily in playing Chaplin. The physical resemblance is convincing, but better is the way Downey captures Chaplin's spirit, even in costume as the tramp. The production values are impressive. The period sets are meticulously convincing. The supporting actors are generally very good, especially Geraldine Chaplin playing her own grandmother, Kevin Klein as Douglas Fairbanks, and he even shouts out James Woods as Chaplin's attorney, which is ridiculous. James Woods notoriously did one day on this movie, and I'm pretty much convinced it's just being James Woods. I don't I don't necessarily know that he's actually I know, like, portraying that's anybody. He's playing the type, isn't he? He is good at that, but God. I mean, don't even get me started on just, James uh, Woods. Yeah. We could do two hours on James Woods, but I, 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 I do think that this movie... Uh, I want to say it has the best of intentions, but I'm just not even clear as to what his intentions are. I don't think that it does. I think that it's um, it feels really evil. It feels bloated and um, nefarious. It does. I, I want to ask, you know, we, we now live in a time of um, limited series and, you know, this, this idea of something being uh, too big to be a movie, too, quote unquote, small to be an ongoing series. <clears throat> Charlie Chaplin's life could not be contained in two hours and 20 minutes. And the fact that they even attempt it, I think does him a disservice. I think uh, like abs- absolutely. And why not just let that ring around for a second Th- that if you're going to do um, a biopic biopic, what are we saying? You can say whatever you want. Either is, is I say biopic, but people say biopic. So, I mean, however you Emily? choose to. 
the official stance of podcast like it's 1992 is biographical picture thank so. you thank you thank you thank it's you true. thank you if right. we're going to do this about um someone yes. i really think it's important to focus on a short amount of time and let us see that because when you focus on the specific that's when you get generality like you know what i mean like it's it, the otherwise when you do just like the whole thing you're just gonna be sitting on the surface i mean why you you get it i don't need to go any further well, but no, like I... that would have been really cool just to focus on like one i don't know just like well, a couple it's... days on a set or something no 100 percent. as i was watching it i was like what they should have done is a movie about ua about united artists and yeah, just focus totally. on charlie chaplin and pickford and uh fairbanks and just sort of the the creation of that company and what that sort of spoke about that kind of time in his life i, I mean the best biopics or biographical pictures biographical mm. picture <clears throat> sorry biographical um <laughs> are the ones that tend to focus on a specific part of that person's life and use that as a prism to speak of sort of their life as an what's, entirety. What's fascinating to me is that that's a pretty recent thing. Like, right. you know, like, like when, when Kushner's script for Lincoln is like mm-hmm. just about those three weeks of Lincoln's life when he's trying to get this amendment pushed through sure. and like that was treated as this revolution. And like, I forgot and I kind of miss I texted this to Phil. I kind of miss when movies were bad in this way. Like <laughs> this is not in any way a good movie, but bad movies now are just, just kind of bland. And this movie will be like Charlie Chaplin saying in voiceover, you know, I never, I'll never forget the night that Mary told me and we were celebrating the end of world war one. It was also the night I met J Edgar Hoover and you're like, okay, great. <laughs> good for you. Like, it's just, Everything about it is like a, a like a seven year old breathlessly attempting to summarize Charlie Chaplin's life, and you're not sure why. You're like, why are you doing this? It's like, well, it's for show and tell. And no, you've been talking for thirty minutes. Please this go is, sit down. Yes, this is a great point. Which is that um, while watching the movie, another thing um, that came up is it feels like homework. Oh yeah, it was. It felt like something that you're forced to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, can I just read some stuff off my Absolutely, notes? Absolutely, please. Because I just need to get them off my chest. Um, I'm just going to read yeah. the whole thing because it's not it's not that many. And no, then we can... Let's hear it. Okay. Okay, viewing Chapman. Uh, self-serious. Um, sure. sure. Oh, it should have been um, uh, Hoover hijacking Chaplin's plane. Just like make that movie. Make a fake, make it fake. <laughs> Um, Air Force One with Charlie Air Chaplin Air sounds and, great. And Hoover um, would but watch. it's Hoover hijacking Chaplin's yeah, 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 um, sure. uh, The Pleasantville transition to color, I knew it was coming, but it was still gratifying when it happened. You know, at the beginning when he's removing his makeup and then mm-hmm. we come back to color. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, bad. Works better but, in Pleasantville, but yes. Oh, so much better in Pleasantville. Um, hair very big. Oh, when he's little. His hair is so, it's too big. <laughs> Also, that part sucks. Yeah, we too. should make fun um, of children for sure. We should we should come at come oh at the my kids. God. Um, oh, this was a double viewing for me. Um, a double feature with the Wolf Pack. We watched this after the Wolf Pack, so that was as one cool. should. As yes, one should. Um, yeah. movie made to win an Oscar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. no fun. It's like homework. He was noble and perfect. Oh, okay. 
fucking stupid ass okay at the bar with the soldiers poor perfect charlie oh because remember this is one of those things again where it's like i tried to enlist and they wouldn't have me and it's like an idiot um just like you cannot make an infallible there's nothing there's no work to do you give us nothing to do um okay almost done kevin klein is right about america oh yeah douglas fairbanks (laughs) or something yeah yeah Uh, Um, on the hollywood sign but how Oh my God, when he says talkies out the O and it bounces around, uh, oh my God, kill me. Uh, um, <laughs> this movie is bad and it set the tone for other bad biographical pictures. <laughs> he shames everyone into silence with his wisdom. Yes, if you want to know me, watch my movies. He did say that, right? He did, yeah. But yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that means we know him though by watching his movies, but I, yeah, the it, it's, it is, talk- no. Yeah, I, I was gonna I, keep going, but I want no, you to. Please I want you to keep see going. What you're gonna say, I, I, I just think that ultimately this is an impossible task, and yeah. there's there is a part of me that sort of. I, so I have not seen Gandhi. Have you guys seen Gandhi? Has anyone seen? No, Gandhi? no, just the thought. Of you no, no, don't. I've, I haven't seen it. So I mean, a long, a long time ago, I. I'm going to just do a, oh, a, a rant. I'm going to do a thing here. Okay. Like I lived with a guy in college mm. who uh, was, <laughs> that was, it. That yeah, was it. That, <laughs> who was a juggler clown who wanted to join a circus and like went off one day we were just hanging out and he came out of his bedroom and was like dressed up in like, like, like his finest clothes and was like, I'm going to go interview to join the circus. And we were like, what? And there was a circus nearby and he went to go and they told him you can uh, join the circus. If you have your CDL, your commercial driver's license, because what we need is people to drive trucks. And he was like, but I want to be a juggler. And they were like, we have enough jugglers. We need truck drivers. Maybe if you join, then, you know, like you'll get to do the understudy thing and step in some night. And he came back and he was so sad. I've never seen someone so sad because he couldn't join the circus. And now he's a nuclear engineer. And his favorite movie was Gandhi. That's so that's why oh, I've seen okay. Gandhi because like, he I'm like put it on. Yeah. yeah, he put it on once and I was like sitting through it and I was like, this is it was pretty good. You know, it shouldn't have beaten E.T. That's yeah. for goddamn sure. <laughs> I so I the reason I bring this up is I don't have much context for Richard Attenborough as a filmmaker. So well, he he opened a fucking park with dinosaurs in it, and that was a bad oh. idea. He did he did? He okay, did. yeah. Uh, started with fleas. It was a circus for fleas, and then and then, and then... He, direct, he gets a, he he takes a sideline into directing Gandhi, and then he gets back to his true passion of resurrecting dead animals. Just real quick, I have to tell you, I yeah. went to a clown workshop on Sunday, and all of us got flea bites at the bar afterward. Oh, so, um, that's cool. this is really, we're really tying everything. Yeah, I'm really pulling here. it all together for you. That's why we did this. We brought you on here to, to talk about, um, it just feels so good mostly. to have some answers. Yeah. Yeah, I, for sure. I, yes, yeah, so please go ahead. I'm, I, I, I don't, uh, Phil, finish your Richard Attenborough thought. Then I have like a okay. question I want to ask. I, I bring this up just because apparently Richard Attenborough, uh, 
you know, Charlie Chaplin, a bit of an obsession of his, bought the rights to this book, like was, was definitely wanted to do this. And this was kind of a passion project of his. Um, and in fact, like you bring up Jurassic Park, Emily, but like, I guess Richard Attenborough, uh, when he's like in a picture or like doing a movie of his own, like everything takes a back seat. So like they had to move around some of the Jurassic Park schedule in order to get him to be able to be in Jurassic Park, which starts shooting in 92, obviously, um, as he was posting this movie. This is all just a long way of saying that, like, Richard Attenborough, to me, is is Hammond. I mean, that is who he is. He is the man who, who built a dinosaur park. Um, so I don't know him as a filmmaker, and I would yeah. argue that this movie does not ingratiate me to him as a filmmaker. No. Anyway. <laughs> He and David Attenborough are like brothers, right? I believe they are brothers. Like, I just am trying to imagine them collaborating on a project. That would be so good. Yeah. That would be like Tough just now, Dave, yeah. yeah, just yeah. David Attenborough narrating just like a movie about I don't know tigers and sure. like it's yeah. just like Anyone. a lockdown camera. It's the most boring movie about tigers you've ever seen. And David Attenborough's like, look at this tiger sleeping peacefully. It's probably thinking about Nazis. <laughs> I will. I will say though that the Gandhi thing for me, obviously beating ET is what it will always in my mind be re- remembered for. Also, that's the whole thing about the Academy I, Awards. Sorry. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. But I hope that your movie wins all of them. A wonderful organization that's a never wonderful done organization, wrong. Yeah. and, and everything, sucks. everywhere, all at once should win all of them. Thank you, I agree. <laughs> but I'll just say this: um, it's the it's the Ben Kingsley as Gandhi thing. You could not do that today. No, uh, I, that's I where don't... I get stuck. That's where I walk into the wall. <laughs> but, uh, yeah so I, I i this was all just a long way of saying that i do feel that this is an impossible task that they've taken on and they've sort of stepped on every landmine they could along the way outside of the casting of robert Downey jr i would i would argue is probably right the they did. i i just want to step in real quick ben kingsley is his father was indian so okay. he is okay. of indian descent but yeah if you did okay. it today oh, you, every fucking interview would lead with that every interview well, would be also, like yeah he's there and i i don't say this to but there is some there uh, is yes there is absolutely on. makeup going there on. is yeah okay and that's Great. that's bad that's <laughs> yes, i don't want i that's i don't want to say this but yeah like if you were doing it today you wouldn't do the makeup and every interview would be like ben kingsley indian? is an indian Question descent mark. yeah yeah <laughs> That would be the first thing he said. You'd be like, so, yeah. Sir Ben, what was it like to be in a movie? Sure. And he would be like, well, I'm of Indian descent. And like that, like, I just think of everything in terms of PR because I fucking no, for sure. worked but as I, a journalist I, or something. But yeah, I do like I imagining uh, Ben Kingsley on the PR circuit for <laughs> Gandhi because I imagine he would love that. We should watch that. I just... <laughs> Sorry, I, I forgot this cold. I just imagine that he's like... Uh, his character in the Marvel movies, yes, um, yes. where he'd like hit, that's hit, great. Hit, I yeah, love great that Kingsley yeah. performance. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. I so I, I do want to talk about the the other parts of this cast, which is uh, extensive. There's this a lot of people in this is movie. Fucking bonkers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. It is. Again, this feels like. <laughs> this feels like it started something and I don't know if it's true, but like 
biopics with a laundry list of people, like just a cast that goes on for days. It's Oscar bait. It's Oscar bait. And it also just feels like people are like, oh, I want to see Kevin Klein playing Douglas Fairbanks. Right. Uh, you know, I want to see. He it's is like fanfic. Weirdly. Yeah. Weirdly. A, yeah. Or something. Yes. No, it is. It is. It, it also feels like, you know, there's this, this kind of trope going on right now of, uh, or at least on the internet, so for whatever. But like when a when a modern person is put in a period piece, and they're like that person has seen an iPhone, mm-hmm. like you just that that person just doesn't feel like they exist within. The, I, I I would argue that Babylon <laughs> does that a little bit. Um, I haven't seen Babylon, and oh. I gotta say I'm really looking forward to this. Well, Emily will. Emily puts a USB. Emily puts a USB. It's it's great. I I do think that this movie suffers from, and unfortunately, it does feel like it's mostly some of the female cast of this film that feel too modern to be in the context yes, that they're in. I agree. Mm. Uh, Penelope Ann Miller, uh, Diane Lane, for instance, these are people that unfortunately just uh, just didn't totally work for me. But Phil, yeah. Phil, yes. can I cut in for a second? I've set a timer for sixty seconds. It's yes, time please. for Emily's Babylon minute. Right. Uh, <laughs> What I want to say about this is a lot of people are being mean to Margot Robbie online, and she definitely has that has seen an iPhone quality. I think it works in her advantage. I also think that she is way too pretty, and I should be as pretty as her, and that's Emily's Babylon Minute. Uh, I will will just sort of uh, do my 30 seconds and just say that uh, uh, we're being a little bit too hard to margot robbie there's a clip that's been circulating on twitter uh from someone who hasn't seen the whole movie i know hate that that's not fair it's not fair and and i do but there are some arguments being made in terms of uh this this sort of brooklyn accent that seems to be kind of the only accent american accent that she does um and and in this film it is dialed up to 11 so like i do understand why some people are like can she speak like another type of American? With, with creative intentionality, I would argue. Sure. But uh, the important thing is, Phil, do you think I should be as pretty as Margot Robbie? Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, not, that's not even a question. I, I don't you. even know why you're saying you're not. That's the bigger question. Thank you. It's a I'm podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, it's and a podcast. So the thing that I'm painting a word picture for everyone, I look just like Margot Robbie, except I wear glasses. So it's true. It's true. Yes. 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 I see that's it. exciting. Yeah. I so, okay, so yeah, but a question for you, Tally, as yeah. as as an actor. Okay, um, did you were there performances in this? <laughs> uh, are were there performances in this film that that registered as believable to you? Did you find? Did you buy into any of these performances? Loved David Duchovny. Um, how exciting <laughs> for him to get to like play with the film and like do that. Like make the movie about him. Him and Charlie yeah. holding he's, like I, the film in place with his nose and stuff. That was fucking he's, cool. I, I'm not entirely clear as to what his role was because he's cinematographer and editor, it seems. But I guess I he's know. he's a I he's mean, a yeah. Jack that, was, that was interesting for um you're right. Like if if it was going to be about early cinema, that would have been really cool because we right. got to see moments of that, like um like for instance, you know they're working first together on this other with um, Mac, Mac yes, and um, played by Dan Aykroyd, yes, played by Dan Aykroyd, um, and then it's like then he comes over to Charlie's company and like that's cool, like I that that feels yeah. very real to me, yeah, sure, um, and 
who else? I mean, you Kevin Klein. Just say David Duchovny. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't exciting. Um, yeah. and uh, I was really happy that Geraldine Chapman in it. What um, the, one of the the second thing I wrote was um, is his daughter in this? That yeah. was like a huge priority to yes. me. But of course she was, and I love her. Don't you love her and talk She's, to her? I just I love, her. love her. Yes. Yes. Okay. I loved her in uh, uh, Home for the Holidays. She's great. Okay, in that movie. well, I gotta, I better go see it. It's well, Home for the Holidays. I, don't, I haven't is seen a good any movie. movies. I want you to know that right off the bat. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, there's, this, there's this thing that floats around every so often. There is in one of Chaplin's movies. I think it's Modern Times. It looks like there's somebody using an iPhone in the background, and people are like, "Is this a time traveler?" I like to imagine that this is David Duchovny as Fox Mulder investigating, <laughs> like he has traveled back in time to investigate the time traveler, but he overshot. So now he has to like be there for the entirety of Chaplin's career. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I like that. That's a good, I, I like that. I'm going to write that, that fan. Fiction. You should write that. Fan yes. Fiction. I, so there are four screenwriters on this movie. See, um, that's, the, that's another problem. It is a problem for sure. Uh, Did you say it, this movie's bloated? I did, right? I've yes, never used yes. that term before to describe a film. And whenever I saw it in reviews, I was like, what do you mean? Now I get it. Because it's trying to do too much. And, and I, so th- there is a, a, the fact that it took four screenwriters to come up with what I would argue is one of the laziest structures you could have, which is <laughs> an editor talking to a man about his autobiography and being like, so tell me about, what did you think about this moment in your life, Charlie? And then we flash back. It's just, it's, it's a really lazy thing. The thing that's like, you haven't told me the truth about this, where like the only time that pays (laughs) off is there's this moment is just a great moment when he goes into a room and there's a hat that's glowing and it's like, and then his editor's like, that's not how it happened. And then it cuts to him just like running around grabbing props. And you're like, I wish it just stick with the glowing hat. That's fun. Right. And the cane jumps into his hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's all. Make it. Yeah. It's, it's I just I feel for stupid. Anthony Hopkins though because Anthony Hopkins has maybe one of the most thankless roles I've ever seen in cinema because that role always sucks there's always when people use this structure there's always some poor schmuck that has to be like teeing up various flashbacks and it is a bummer because Anthony Hopkins deserves <sighs> better what than a that. waste but, of one of our greatest and yeah, then in the yeah. credits it's like he didn't he didn't, didn't really exist. <laughs> it's like, well, why? <laughs> Don't do this to us. It's such an unnecessary kick in the nuts to the performance at the end. It's like, yeah, you didn't even fucking exist. Phil's, Phil's going to hate because Phil okay. likes talking through the plot in order, but I'm just going to talk about those yeah, credits. Yeah, let's pop around. Those credits. Place. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen. Oh, listen. my God. I'm so happy you brought this up. Those credits, it's so there's this treacly cover of Smile, a song that Charlie Chaplin wrote, playing over footage that's like, and then she died in squalor. And you're like, yes. So, and that's about the 16 year old's wife. It's like, yeah. it's slander. The credits are slander. That's what I wrote. It's like the, the woman director who didn't know what she was doing died in obscurity. Yep. The whore wife died a prostitute. In and she went to hell, and (laughs) it's so rude. It's so rude. There's also something a little bit I don't want to say confusing, but confounding about the fact that you have um 
I'm trying to visually describe the credits to our listeners who haven't seen it, but basically there's a frame around a video image of said character Mm -hmm. with the actor's name underneath that photo. And then the character they played is described in text next to it. So it's all kind of (laughs) convoluted as to like, what, what, why are you playing? And on top of everything, they're just shitting on every single person. It's, it is like saying, well, here's how the person ended up, which is the famous uh, biographical picture thing. But like, they do it for everybody. And then they remind you that Anthony Hopkins didn't exist. (laughs) Exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> it's I, I also so feel funny. like they also, so Moira Kelly plays two different people in this movie. So that's, that should have been maybe the relationship that we focus on, right? But it doesn't land until well, the... It's weird, first of all, to have the same actor playing both those roles because to Emily's, uh, you know, fan fiction, it does seem time travel because you're just like, wait, that's the same. I know they put her in a different wig, but like, you know, it's the same person. And I know that we're supposed to believe that he fell in love with this woman because she looked like the woman that he had fallen in love with many, many years ago in London. But having it be the same person is unnecessary. Like, the, I, it, it's it it's it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So she has several cards because she plays different people. So it's just, it's insane. You're right. It's it's just unnecessary. That being said, Moira Kelly had a big ninety two, Emily. So we're gonna be talking about Moira Kelly three times. I I I I was gonna say I feel like Moira Kelly wasn't yet Moira Kelly, so they thought they could get away with it. And then the cutting edge came out, and every right. every uh, teenage girl so uh, alive at that time and yeah. Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, where right. she, where she yes. uh, replaces wow. Lara Flynn Boyle, yeah, um, which is so like Moira Kelly had really covered the gamut in 92 in terms of like it, it is interesting but then to your point she kind of never really gets there right like it's it's sort of this is a great year for her and the cutting edge is whatever and then she's in a couple rom-coms and then obviously as emily and i discussed uh, in 99 she was in the west wing for a season until she just evaporates but um great yeah. that show perfect wonderful performance <laughs> I like I genuinely do like her on that show and I every time I say that I feel like I'm you know well because Mandy is 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 derided as a character I think yeah Mm -hmm. I think she's good as the character I think Aaron Sorkin doesn't know how to write women and that's a problem but we've talked about that on like three episodes now so (laughs) but I but I do think that in this she's given I mean she's fine as Hattie I believe is the character that that um, the first one the the Irish uh burlesque was she french i don't know i think she was irish oh no (laughs) i mean i could be wrong tally but i'm pretty sure she was irish that's okay um but all that being said uh i do love that tally's wearing a a baseball cap that just says movies isn't it good you can get them at moviesbrand.com it's fantastic uh i'm a fan um i so all that being said i think that the hattie role is marginally more interesting than the thankless wife role that she plays at the end of the movie. So I don't know. Both of them. Uh, I'm like, I am not going to sit here and and ride for a relationship between a man in his thirties and a teenage girl, but 
Una Chaplin, his his final like Una O'Neill, daughter of Eugene O'Neill, his final wife. Like they they were married until Chaplin died, and she like namesake of yeah, Una of Chaplin. Una Una <laughs> Chaplin, the actor. Yeah, um, and there there is something compelling and interesting about her as a figure, uh-huh. in terms of like she was Eugene O'Neill's daughter. Yeah. Like they kind of hated each other. She goes and meets Charlie Chaplin when she's sixteen. They fall in love. They get married when she's eighteen. And like there's, it's just kind of like this sixty in, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's just kind of this interesting like. I totally agree with you. This interesting like character arc for her. That like, you know, she gets just turned into, oh, this is the one who finally he could stick around with. And you're like, sure. I, I did like I did like Diane Lane. I did oh, think we always like yeah. I like Diane Lane. She's yeah. great. I think she's playing. A, I think she's playing an actual character. She's playing yeah. someone who kind of gives back as good as she gets. And like that was also I, I do think like. The part of this movie that works, and I'm I'm using the word works extremely broadly. I just mean that it's kind of that is kind of functional in a dramatic sense, is when he's making modern times. And I was like, maybe this is what if you were going to zero in on something, he's trying to speak to this big thing that's happening. His marriage is falling apart. Like there's all this stuff happening right then, and that might be the movie you could make. But um, you know, but then you wouldn't it, have Anthony Hopkins. Like he wouldn't have I, had a part. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Emily. And yet at the same time the, the part that you're talking about is literally done in montage like they barely give it its due because yeah. they want to show that his marriage is falling apart with diane lane so they're kind of showing how obsessive he's become about modern times well when i am when i am struggling with an art i sit at my piano and pick out the notes for a famous song that i'm about to write that's how i that's how i struggle with an art <laughs> It reminded me of um, uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol when uh, Scrooge McDuck, or I mean um, Ebenezer Scrooge, is counting, um, uh-huh. you know, the money, and then Daisy comes in and she's like, "Ebenezer," you know. This By is the way. Go ahead, Emily. No, go ahead, Phil. No, I was <laughs> just going to say we 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 have discussed Mickey's Christmas Carol on our ninety nine episode. The, the, of... That was Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. Mickey's oh, my Christmas apologies. Carol is a far. No, I I I think <laughs> I can't. I honestly, first of all, love the pull of Mickey's Christmas yeah. Carol, which <laughs> I think one of the best. A one one of the one of the all time greats. But yeah, like th- there is this <laughs> element of like ha- this is a tangent. Has anybody seen? the Christmas special, Mr. Willoughby's Christmas tree. I'll write it down. It is terrible. Don't see it, but it's, uh, it's, it's aired one time in the mid nineties. It's a, one of those Jim Henson projects they made after he died and it stars Robert Downey Jr. And I'm not going to say this like on the record because it's like vaguely libelous, but he seems, I will say he seems as a critic, as someone observing this, he seems high out of his mind. It is, there is it seems like they did one take of everything and robert johnny jr was like i'll hang out with some muppets but like he doesn't actually hang out with muppets so he just is jumping through the air and flailing around and singing a song off tune it is it's on youtube i recommend it to watch every christmas with the caveat that it is worse somehow than chaplin but (laughs) You should see it. It also stars Stockard Channing and Leslie Nielsen. Go ahead, okay. Phil. Oh my god! And some mice. Go ahead. I so I, I do think that this movie has. I mean, this movie isn't 
I mean, no one should watch this film. But if we're going to try to find some positives, <laughs> because I think we should, I do think that some of the performances are strong. As we mentioned, Kevin Klein. I think Diane Lane is good, even though I, I, and Diane Lane does get the. I'm sure you guys never saw the trailer for this film, but I did. When she screams Charlie, yeah, yeah, that's like that's like a trailer moment that yeah. that she does. You know, she 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 nails. Um, I, there was some people that were attached to this film that ultimately fell through. John Goodman was supposed to play Max Sennett. I would have much preferred him. I would have too. I mean, Dan Aykroyd is a vibe and he's just a vibe I don't love. (laughs) So, you know, it's just a little bit too much. And and I'm not suggesting that Max Sennett wasn't perhaps as cartoonish as he's played, but there's something about, I also don't need to see Max Sennett. I don't, sorry, I don't need to see Dan Aykroyd shirtless putting suspenders on. I just don't need that. I did. (laughs) Okay. Uh, the other person that was attached to this uh, was Winona Ryder as Mildred Harris that was ultimately uh, played by Mila Jovovich, um, which I'm thankful did not happen. I went... Yeah, Mila Jovovich was awesome. Those the close-up of her putting on her lipstick, it I were... loved. Yeah, no, that I... seems great. I, mean, I don't know that Mila has much to, to do. do. Yes, You're right, yeah. she has nothing to do. But I just, I just love seeing her. I also just I don't girl, want you know? Winona over, like sexualized like that in 92, personally. That's just... I went Would have been powerful, though. I went sure. deep on Mila because sure. I was like, how old is she when she's, she was 16 when she made this. Wow. Her first movie, she was 15 and she, there was nudity in that. And it was just oh, like, Mila. why is like, she broke through as like, this teenager is willing to be naked. Yep. And okay. Oh, my um, God. I, one thing I will think having done many episodes of 99, though, not being, you know, the, 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 the guest host on that show right. nearly yeah. as often as I've been the guest host on this show. Sure. Um, uh, and, and having done several of 92 now, it's like, uh-huh. you look at ways that cultural mores have shifted. The really obvious one is, is there's a lot more queer phobia in these movies and that shifts from 92 to 99, mm-hmm. but one that has shifted from the nineties to now, cause there's a lot of this in 99 as well, is that we are no longer allowed to overtly be like horny for teenage girls male filmmakers are no longer allowed to do that and if i mean not allowed but like if they do people get like really like weirded out by it yeah. and back then apparently you just everyone was doing it all the time totally they were just like yeah this is great wonderful we love it felt teenagers. like it's a little bit of like a hangover from the 80s and obviously mm-hmm. from the 70s as well. And we're still, I mean, that's one of the other reasons why I thought 92 was interesting is because 92 feels like the first year that the 90s are starting to actually become the 90s. And there is yeah. sort of that weird kind of, as I mentioned, hangover of like things that we were kind of okay with in the 80s that we're not okay with in the 90s. And it does feel like this is one of those things, thankfully. Um also, I didn't know this. You could just like marry an underage person and then it was okay to have sex with that underage person. Is that was that legally I think a thing? I did know that because then it's like, well, she's, you know, yeah, she's part of it. I believe in a lot of the US it's still okay to marry an underage yeah. person if your parents sign off on it. Yeah. And like then it's okay yeah. to whatever. Yeah. Uh the other person that was almost cast in this, which I think is hilarious, is Nick Nolte almost played older Charlie Chaplin. Oh, Oh, that would have been so good. I would have been that amazing. would have been so much better. Why didn't we have that? <laughs> I would have absolutely been on board with that. I have to say, like... I have to say two things about yes, old please. Chaplin. Yeah. Um, I already texted Emily about this, but like I knew that we would get into it more. But um, his 
reactions at the Oscars. Okay, so when we have our scene <laughs> at the Academy Awards, he's wheeled on stage. Or no, is he? No, and he's then, wheeled um, off stage and then he walks on stage. Right, right, right. And for some reason, he's on stage standing at the podium the entire time that their tribute reel is playing for him. And then it cuts to reaction. So it's like real footage of Chaplin, which is awesome. And then it cuts to him in his like, two-inch white face paint. Um, and his, like, like it looks like he's wearing like a rubber latex mask. His lips are crazy. And he can barely move. And sometimes he's like chuckling. <laughs> And he's against the black curtain. It's so ghastly. And sometimes he's chuckling and then sometimes he's crying. crying. It is one of the weirdest, most awesome. The the, the makeup, he does kind of look like a Jim Henson creature. Like there is something (laughs) a little bit sort of off about him. Good for him. He made it back. My wife said, my wife said he looks like he's wearing Ed Asner as a skin suit. Yes. Uh, Holy shit. Also also true. Also true. Yes. That's it. It was, it, it's, it is, now, did you guys watch the actual footage by any chance of him? It's on YouTube of his. I will. I, I thought about it. I watched it because I wanted to go back and watch all the Chaplin movies. Well, well, fair. But watching the the footage of him at the Oscars was interesting because he seemed, first of all, he seemed very emotional. He seemed, he was, he seemed genuinely worried that no one liked him anymore. Um, Post-exile, I think he was convinced that, you know, everything that he had created as a filmmaker, um, you know, kind of died because Hoover weirdly was obsessed with kicking him out of the country. I, yeah, go ahead. Man. I, w- I, so I, I kind of want to ask Tally, um, cause, cause you mentioned having seen, you know, loving the chapel footage. I kind of want to ask you as an actor, a, a, a clown, all of that, as someone who like understands pantomime, understands silent film acting, like do, what do you think sort of sets Chaplin apart? Are there are there other like silent? What do you think is interesting about silent film acting as opposed to like being able to like have your words? I'm I'm fascinated by that question, especially oh, as it's brought up in the film question. Babylon. So, so the idea that clowns are silent comes number one. Okay, also listen. I am de- I'm a student of clown. I am teaching it, but I'm also like learning alongside my students. So mm-hmm. one one reason that clowns are thought of as silent is because their job has always been to speak truth to power, right? It's the fool in the king's ears. They're the first one to die, but they're the only one who can get close enough to tell the king the truth. Um, so when there were crackdowns but like anytime the clowns got too subversive and the people were getting too excited um i couldn't tell you which era this began it was probably always an ebb and flow but then it was like the way now you can't talk when you're on stage you know like from from whatever governing body there was so that's one reason we have the idea of like a silent clown um and the other comes from silent film because they couldn't talk you know um, so it was performers who were really powerful, um, pantomime and, uh, you, you know, like vaudeville performers who were getting those early roles. Um, and that said, have I done a deep dive? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, am I teaching a clown? Yeah. I am. Well, I am just going to ask you, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, um, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. 
who's 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 your guy if you had to pick between those don't two? make me choose i refuse okay. i refuse right. to okay. pick. i refuse to pick okay i do love buster keaton's beautiful face i just love buster keaton um but i can't you know i'm not gonna rank oh wait but also okay to um emily's question yes sir. um something that i really really love about clown um especially right now at post-apocalypse when we're retilling the soil um there's i'm just i i'm not interested in any humor that's based in like cleverness like the let's not say we did anything that's a put down we're out of time like i'm not there's no time for that the beautiful thing about clown is that you're allowing everyone to see your humanity you're like being your most vulnerable foolish self and everybody's like yes yes i i yes exactly and you get there the fastest um with physicality and and gibberish like the minions this is why people love the minions they are universal the minions Emily and I plan universal. on talking minions at some point I want to see I want to see the the Babylon montage that ends that film that goes from Chaplin to the minions um oh, and- oh, oh, oh. Marco I just I just sniffed a baby's butt and it smells bad um <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> um, all been there. I, I, no, I, yes, I, 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 I think that one of the things I find fascinating about Chaplin is he, he is to that point you're talking about. He is tapped into this, these sort of universal feelings and he gets written off a lot of sentimental and saccharine. And I understand why that happens, but his like extreme expressiveness is very tapped into here's how I feel foolish. Here's how I feel over the top. Here's, you know, we see that first scene of him acting in this film where he's in this movie where he like flirts with the bride. And like, there is this like element of, oh, he is expressing these deep inner thoughts that we, we have, but don't have. And like, I love, I, I probably prefer Keaton, but there's a slightly above it all quality to him that I don't think Chaplin has. And like, yes. I find that fascinating about Chaplin as a performer. I don't think this movie captures that, but <clears throat> one of the things that this movie sort of attempts to tap into, but doesn't really is this idea that Charlie's act stems from uh, protecting his mother. So as, as a little boy, he gets up on the stage because his mother's act isn't going well. And it feels like, the impetus for him, or at least what they're maybe surmising, is that that sort of early uh, desire to protect her, and then later when he realizes that there's nothing he can do and that her mental health is failing and what have you, and the best he can do is buy her a house by the ocean, um, <clears throat> I think is an interesting thing. And it mm-hmm. taps into that idea of, um, you know, I'm not a comedian, you are, Tally, so perhaps you can speak to this. Obviously, you definitely can speak to this better than I can, but that. Um, the the nourishment that you get from a, from people's laughter, the you know what what that brings you emotionally, and how um, that can be a bit of a drug to a certain degree mm. in terms of of needing that and fueling you. Um, and I I and I don't, I don't want to project too much of that onto Charlie Chaplin because I'm not sure that there's all that much basis for it. But I do think that um, there's something there. Charlie seems to have the push and pull of um, not necessarily wanting to be famous per se, but also wanting to be famous. Like there's this, which I, which I imagine most people in your field have that push and pull of yeah. wanting sort of 
creative integrity and wanting to feel as though they're 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 putting something into the world that they're proud of and at the same time um also you know wanting adulation <laughs> so i'm yeah. sure that there's something yeah. to that you know but i um i do think it's i i just quickly want to just rewind on one quick thing emily just to to put a period on this but uh, apparently actresses uh only actresses 18 and older can now perform nude in u.s produced films Thank so God. this which which seems like a bare fucking minimum um and i i still <laughs> probably have issues with that but it is interesting that i don't know what year that was put into effect but it does feel as though uh the 90s definitely were like we've had enough of this nonsense yeah because by I'm... the time you get you get to american beauty which is another movie about how right. we should all have sex with a teenage girl and that'll Correct. make things better like mena suvari was like in her 20s when she, she did that yes. and like so there does it does feel like it happens somewhere in here and we probably could have researched that before doing the podcast but we don't That's research why i'm not doing that why yeah yeah research fine. please <laughs> um Listener, I, I, this is your yeah. opportunity now to to respond to the podcast with we're leading yes we're yeah. leading a guided exploration and there yeah. will be discussion questions at the end it'll be great uh yeah. i so i i wanted you brought up emily the first uh tramp scene um with uh and it's marissa tomei in a also thankless role although she does get a, a card at the end to just you know shit kick her for reasons that i don't <laughs> completely understand um, me neither leave her alone leave this poor woman alone but anyway she has one scene and it is it is a great scene insofar as that it showcases i think what we all thought we were going to see for two hours and 20 minutes and surprisingly didn't uh which is we see him dress up as the tramp we see him do his first bit we see how it all kind of plays out um we get to see behind the scenes of how that was filmed and and you know it's it's mostly a one so like it's all kind of played out in front of us, similar to the way that it is in the movie itself. And you get to see Robert Downey Jr. as the tramp doing, you know, a, a great job. And it's a great scene. Um, but we don't get nearly enough of that in this movie no. um, because they're in such a hurry to hit all, to, to get through his entire life is basically what it comes to. Exactly. And also in the moments where you actually get to see him doing this truly amazing physicality. I love the scene when he's like playing the drunk and the mm -hmm. like opera house. Great. great so yeah. it was such a pleasure to get to see that. Mm -hmm. um, but we, as the viewers aren't really, we don't really get the opportunity to engage and laugh with it because instead we're shown everybody else chuckling and laughing correct you know it's like yes. it's i mean this is you know you, you bring up research emily and and if ever there was an episode uh where i probably should have done more of it this is it but i'll just say um be, because i found myself watching this film being like so why did j edgar hoover hate him so much like what the fuck was that about uh which is not explored it seems as though this movie at least presupposes that charlie put dinner rolls on forks while uh he was talk while hoover was talking and hoover was like that's it i'm, I'm wouldn't, you know listen the red scare tragedy should never have happened but wouldn't it be funny if it got started because charlie chaplin put dinner rolls on forks at a party he was at <laughs> with jagger hoover and jagger hoover was like hollywood has gone too far <laughs> but that's what this movie is basically saying you know, I don't know that it's that far off either, because truly the clown's job is to speak truth to power. And right. maybe that that's enough to set a lot of tyrants off, you know, it's like, I'm going to yeah. fucking kill you because uh, you put two rolls on dinner forks and made me a fool. 
Oh, that I mean, also. By the way, if they had, I mean, truthfully, if they had made more of a meal out of that, right? And and I really got the sense more that roles, more roles, for instance. <laughs> oh my god! Um, if I really got the sense that Hoover, you know, that Charlie was mocking him at the table. I mean. It goes to the place of, you know, not to make this about Trump, but like when Obama made fun of Trump at the at uh, the White House Correspondents Center and everyone thinks that that's why he did what he did, which, that by the way, Seth Meyers, could have been the part where Seth Meyers made fun of Trump and then everybody thought that's no, I think it was Obama. Oh my God. <laughs> but but all this being said, um, if that had been there in the film and that scene had been sort of made a little bit larger, I might have been able to be like, OK, I guess maybe he. It's just like whatever. But instead, it's kind of we kind of breeze past it. And even the Red Scare stuff, they don't make that much of a meal out of like you. Oh my God. And also, OK, I, I wrote down mm-hmm. all the. Oh, wait. Number one, James Edgar Hoover sat in the room with the pregnant lady. I wrote down because what are they doing? And, you know, OK, you know what I mean? Yes. And like the yes, pre-courtroom yes. scene, yeah. he didn't sit with her. It's what? It's- Wasn't he the president still? Well, uh, Hoover was never the president. Okay, listen, I don't care. <laughs> I truly don't. As a Canadian, <laughs> I can tell you, Jack Hoover was never the president. I love my my mind. Um, <laughs> As do we, by the way. Um, okay, so the great. Okay, check. Yes. Um, all the communism stuff is giving me a heart attack. Is what I wrote down because it is. It yeah. was really scary, and it still is scary. That's the thing. Yes. Is it? It has yes. never stopped. Um, Correct. but also that like. Um. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The fact that, like, it's still Charlie being like, I'm not a communist. I love America. Uh-huh. It's like, give me a break. I mean, whatever. Sorry. It is a little. Yeah, go ahead, Emily. It just comes out in this weird political moment when the Cold War is over and everyone's like, well, communism was wrong. We solved it. And like it's it. it, And yet they're also I don't know. There's something about these movies in this era. I'm going to make just a wide, broad, sweeping generalization here, which is like saying saying you're against nazis forgives everything yeah and like there's kind of this 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 like 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 meme that goes around right now about you know um someone particularly on the political right is like disrespected or someone's mean to them on twitter let's say because they say something fucking racist or homophobic or whatever and then they're like well you leave me no choice but to become a nazi and like it does kind of feel like this movie is like 
if anyone had called Charlie Chaplin on like having child brides, he might have had no choice but to like freedom is what's important. And he yeah. had the freedom to do whatever he wanted. And anytime someone infringed upon that, it was turning him, you know, into a terrible person. And like right. the communism of it all is just weirdly glossed over, but like it's really obvious why you would watch some of his movies and like read about his politics and think maybe he was a communist, but this movie can't really go there because it doesn't want to engage with the politics of the moment at well, all. So, yeah. I mean, as is the case, unfortunately, even today, I feel like the, the, the definition of socialism and communism get weirdly intermingled and there does seem to be sort of a real lack of distinction between those two things. Mm. Like I think it's sorry. Yes. There's like? a lack of distinction between those two things and like center left liberalism. Right. Like yeah. there's a lack yeah. of distinction between those things and a company like putting out a beer can that has the trans flag on it. Like sure. people yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it, it, it's, you know, obviously communism for, for, reasons in this country seems to be sort of this like you know big big red flag we're scared of this whatever but socialism ultimately they're equally as scared of and that's by that i mean the rich people are scared of that so it's like i do think that when you see charlie in this film um he sees sort of how the lower class is treated and you know makes modern times as a reaction to that that's much more a reaction of you know trying to create you know a, a lower middle and high like trying to actually create some sort of a a situation where everybody can be prospering in some way or another um obviously we struggle with that even today so i don't even know that that's necessarily communism so much as it's just like it'd be great if everyone you know was given a fair shot i get like but i get where in terms of like jagger hoover who you know thought that attempting to do anything to help a lot of ex-president jagger ex-president yeah (laughs) ex-president like famous (laughs) It was ex-emperor J. Edgar Hoover. Yes, yes. yes. Um, is is yeah. Yeah. Like I see it. You know, I I get it from his perspective, but also like Modern Times is released at the height of the New Deal. It's released at the height of America when America was at its most like pseudo socialist and like it it, you know the uh the the whole thing about is like fdr would not have been threatened by fucking modern times so they kind of have there's a lot of timeline stuff in this movie that doesn't make sense to me like douglas fairbanks being like the talkies are coming but he has to be saying it in like 1924 1925 at a point when people were like well movies a won't have sound and b if they do no one will care so it's like it is just there to provide foreshadowing for a thing that ultimately doesn't fucking matter like yeah it does matter in the film babylon however go ahead it does very much matter in the film babylon so you have that to look forward to tally i I, I i'll say this um Uh, I want to talk a little bit about because this does come up in the scene at the Hollywood sign and I'd be remiss for us not to talk about the Hollywood sign um, obviously famous from the film Cool World yes Um, (laughs) the Hollywood land sign also famous from the film Elvis Um, so I guess my what I was wondering it looks like they shot up there right kind of I mean, the but also it says it says Hollywood Land, so they clearly they must well, but have that's for the wide. I yeah, like their scene looks like they're. I mean, looks like they're there. I think it could be on a set. You know what I like about the Hollywood sign? 
Would you like Hollywood Star? When I'm watching a movie and I see it, I know where we're I know where we're at. You know, I know we're in Hollywood and right. we're probably in Los Angeles. Not always, but mo- right. usually we're in Los usually Angeles. Usually in Los Angeles. And usually I would say in the too state that of California. You can yeah. also tell where you are in time as to whether or not there's a land. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, yeah. that helps too. But yeah, I, I, I had that same thought where I was like, are they filming up there? Yes. Because that's obviously famously a place you can't get to if you're an Angelino, like uh, even though everybody wants to. And like, you know, um, uh, like when Elvis has a, a scene set up there but it is so clearly shot on a soundstage or something because a they filmed in australia where when you see hollywood you know you're not in australia Australia. like that is the thing that is always true but also like it's it's all run down it's so it's and it is no longer run down right now that is the thing that is true yeah it looked like it had holes in it It yeah it looked like it was like riddled with bullet holes very strange and uh and it had fall like In the 1970s, the Hollywood yeah. sign, like like one of the letters, like felt like it, it turned right. into a U. Yeah. So it yeah. looked like Hollywood. Yeah. I believe it was. Um, Tally, yeah. This is this is this is a stretch, and I'm sure you haven't seen this film because, as you mentioned, you don't watch movies, so it's very no, possible. No, it's not. I don't watch movies. I just haven't seen any movies. Mm. Okay. I, I mean, we like can split that. hairs on the definition of what those two <laughs> things mean, but. <laughs> Yeah, no, okay, no, I see where you're coming from. Um, I just, I don't have like the cinephilic. um, I understand, sure. That I feel guilty about. You shouldn't at all. Uh, Live your life. (laughs) Live your best life. Uh, Have you seen the film Cool World, though? (laughs) Yes. You have? Oh, it was a big, horny movie for me as as a youth. Um, We we did uh, an episode on Cool World because it also came out in 1992. I bring this up because there was a controversy that happened in 1992 where um, they put Hollywood, the character played by Kim Basinger, on the D in the Hollywood sign. And people were like rioting and like picketing. And it was a whole thing. I had no idea that that happened. But that was something that I felt was worth bringing up because. Uh... I love that. <laughs> more people. Yeah. More, more things should do that. Like they, they should yes. just. Yeah. They should just turn one of the O's into a can of Coke. I think people would love that. Yeah. 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 I I mean, do it. I wouldn't say so far as the Coke. Uh Um, You crossed a line, Emily. I did. (laughs) (laughs) But like the, I think it's so exciting when our realities collapse Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. one another. Um, Uh There's there's a gorillas concert that was streamed during 2020, mm-hmm. and so the gorillas are a um, a band, a UK band. They're a, they're an animated band. Mm-hmm. They're not they're yes. not actual. They're actually just Damon Albarn and um his, uh, and an animator. Yeah, the guy and who then, did uh, Tank Girl. Yeah, exactly. And um and then the band is all all these other different mm-hmm. musicians. Mm-hmm. So during the concert, you had the animated characters is existing in this two-dimensional space um sometimes in the same um frame as Mm -hmm. what's going on live and then there's also um there were holographs on stage that's what i meant and um and then also like these visuals that had been in like the music videos and stuff Uh and sometimes they would just like collapse into one thing and it was such a brilliant use of um visuals and of streaming and of having a tv monitor because then sometimes it was like you were all in the same space it was fascinating 
it's I a really cool multimedia. Be, yeah. Yes, I thought it was really like it's still I still think and talk about it obviously, but like definitely put Hollywood on the D of the Hollywood listen, sign. It's not listen, secret. Listen, I I think I can make us both happy. Both the O's in the Hollywood sign they're minions now. That's what it is. They're minions. Everybody will go nuts. <laughs> the people yeah. will lose their minds. The people lost their minds over over a character that barely existed being on the D for for apparently a week or two. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I, but I do. Th- OK, I should have yes. clarified. Yeah. People would love it. They love. It. Oh, I think they should fuck with the sign way more. Don't get me people wrong. People love like, the minions. There's, people there's love one the minions. That's true. Yeah. And I'm not, I used to be like, ew. And now I don't. Again, I don't have time for that. Fucking go nuts. You know, Hollywood. Hollywood is always worried about how they're going to appeal to like fucking terrible people in middle America. Correct. You know what people in middle America love minions memes. Okay, so just also, turn, just put some minions up. But this is what I'm saying. It's, it's not just terrible people in middle America. No, listen. Yeah. We're obviously. Worldwide minions. Worldwide. We all love the minions. We I, I want to be clear. Love the minions. Yeah. We love the minions. Who doesn't love the minions? I, I'm going to pivot us away from the minions first. Look at you here. trying to get us back on top. Because I do feel like the minions have taken over. Uh, I, <laughs> so I, I want to talk for a second about uh, The Great Dictator. I've uh, never seen it. An infamous film. I mean, it's fine. You don't, I, I, the reason I want to bring it up is because it, I do think it's interesting I can't imagine what it was like to have this movie come out like at this specific time in history, like a, a true kind of lightning rod of, you know, of, of controversy and uh, obviously a a bold thing for, for, uh, for Charlie Chaplin to do Um, at this point, talkies are happening and he is pushing back on the tramp talking because of the tramp talks all is lost. I don't mm-hmm. disagree. I think the tramp is obviously a character mm-hmm. that cannot speak. Uh, but Charlie sort of brilliantly uses sound in terms of everything else in the world to be able to tell a story so that there is sound, but it's just not people necessarily talking, which I do think is, is, is quite clever. All that being said, uh, he, as we mentioned earlier, he's at this party. There's a bunch of Nazis at this party and Charlie is not having it. That is where Charlie draws the line um pedophilia no with the nazi, yeah. but nazis bad and nazis <laughs> bad are bad i'm i'm very much uh, uh against them it's anti-nazi this I, this is an yeah. anti-nazi podcast um so you know i don't know if that's going to hurt our, our listenership but uh um i, I w- one thing that i think gets lost a lot in talking about the great dictator is it came out in 1940 just a year before the u.s enters world war ii and like this is at a point in time when like there is at least some degree of german sympathy and most mm-hmm. like the u.s is very isolationist and is like we don't need to get involved in this war as a population um and i think when we're speaking about um Tally was talking about the way that um, uh, clowns frequently spoke truth to like, this is the moment when Chaplin is arguably doing living in that tradition. The most, the thing about the great dictator that like, I don't know, it kind of stinks is that it ends with like a big speech and it's like a Mm -hmm. good speech, but I'm also like, I I think you made your point already. Chuck. Do you think people called him Chuck Chaplin? We do. In this house we do. In this family. (laughs) I, I do think it's worth noting too, that like, this was Shut this <laughs> this starts i mean this is the i mean the first that i can think of of parry parodying 
you know, a dictator, uh, mm. specifically the Nazis, specifically Hitler. Um, and being able to kind of, you know, we've seen this obviously because apparently we learn nothing from history with this sort of uprising of, of antisemitism that's been happening in, in North America, specifically in the States and how um, the best way to deflate all this stuff is with humor is to make fun of them is to sort of take the, the wind out of their sails. Mm -hmm. And I do think that this is the first sort of real moment when that happens. And it's a big fat hit. The things of the movie's a big hit. Like, it, it, it is interesting to sort of see all of that and then to see, you know, famous ex-president Jager Hoover um, trying to uh, portray that as an anti-American sentiment. Like that by him making this movie, he's somehow making fun of America. Is I loved that part. Yeah. That so when... that, that's a whole thing in mm -hmm. and of itself. Um, then we have... Um, the Joan Barry of it all, played by Nancy Travis, uh, which is... That's when James Woods enters the movie. This is when James Woods enters the movie. But prior yeah. to James Woods entering the movie, uh, Charlie Chaplin has an affair with this woman, Joan Barry, who seems to, at least per this film, be enormously mentally unstable. Yes. Um, and... Or at claims least they wrote her that way. What actually happened? That's 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 what I mean. I don't know what mm, she was. Sorry like. to jump on. No, me. no, no, no. You're absolutely right. I think that that's one of the myriad of things this film does poorly. Is I have no idea if these portrayals of mostly women are portrayed accurately. Mm -hmm. um, but she claims that she gets pregnant with his child. Um, they do blood tests, which prove the child is not his. But then the courts disregard the blood tests and instead just listen to the ravings of James Woods um, instead. Who oh, calls him it... this little tramp? Yeah. See what he did there? Ooh, Phil, does it trouble you that we've watched a whole bunch of movies at this mm. point and the mm. closest thing we have to like like good female characters are Demi Moore and A Few Good Men and Princess Jasmine? Like, I'm I'm a little troubled by that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just get out in front of that and say it's not going to get better. Uh, 92 <laughs> was not a great time for female characters. Uh, I'm glad I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> I mean, there are some, listen, I think there are some great performances. And I, I mean, I think Emma Thompson in Howard's End, for instance, just one mm -hmm. of, of many that are, yeah. uh, there are some great stuff. But uh, this is not one of them. Um, this movie is rife with poor female characters. Um, but then, so the Joan Barry thing happens. He meets Una also played mm -hmm. by Moira Kelly. Mm -hmm. um, a choice, as I mentioned, that I probably wouldn't have done, but whatever. I kind of like it. I understand. I kind of like it, too. I I get it. Okay. You okay. know, it's, it's... There's a Lynchian quality to it. That well, is, is like, in Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. Yeah, that, that is like, sense. he's always been looking for this for same teenage girl. And like, uh, yes. like uh, if 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 you could tilt that over into creepy in the way that David Lynch would, like I think it would really work. But like, there's a thing that Richard Attenborough is trying to say that he just like can't quite conceive of. But like, there is a yeah. creepiness to it that I think could work. As is, it's just kind of flat. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say this: I don't disagree with what you're saying, um, but I think that it oddly needed to actually be put into text. Because I think what you're left with is you're watching this as a viewer being like, huh, also Moira Kelly? Um, Maybe know. they just didn't know who else. Maybe they just um, <laughs> forgot. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, know. Yeah. Who should, they should have just mm. like 
fucking cast trying mm. to think of somebody who would have been really good in this part. They should have had Jack Nicholson come in as Eugene O'Neill and right. just be like, my daughter right. yeah. is yeah. falling in love with you and you are trying to chase your teenage love, Chuck Chaplin. Yeah. Yes. What, see, I think that's a deleted I you were scene. Say Chuck, thank you. I, I feel like there's a four hour cut of this movie, Emily, and I'm pretty sure that's in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, so there's then this movie from time to time will do sequences that feel kind of like winky towards the time period. So now we have like a bunch of like spinning newspapers coming right. at the at the screen telling us about how very dramatically talking about Charlie's now being forced to pay for this child and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the financial support, this, that, whatever. There's also that earlier scene that you were talking about, Tally, where um, they think that Mila Jovovich is going to steal the movie. So there's this whole like fast sped up kind of old timey silent film sequence of them stealing the movies and whatever, um, which I guess is cute, but also just sort of a little fucked up because yeah. he's screwing over his wife. This, yeah. this is a movie with four writers where you can feel every draft competing yes. with each other. Cause mm-hmm. it just brings in devices and you're like, where did this come from? Who cares? It's happening. And yeah. like it, 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, there's something so I liked that sequence where they were all running around outside of the fact that it's being used to like besmirch a, visibly, <laughs> a like teen mother, normal a teen mother. Yeah, I, and listen, as a teen mother, yes. like I'm, yeah. <laughs> so I okay. There's this moment now where we're in the height of McCarthyism, and Charlie Chaplin and his wife. And family, this is the other thing. The guy's got like 11 kids by this point, and you have no sense. I didn't know that. That you have no sense he has any children. (laughs) There's that one scene where he's hanging out with his sons, and it's like they're at the beach. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes, And then their mom comes, and he's like, there's mommy. And it's just like, okay, what are we we doing here? What's going on? No, nothing. Yeah, uh, bad dad. Deadbeat dad. Chuck Chaplin deadbeat dad um but i uh, at this point they go um on a visit to britain and in perhaps maybe one of the most like slimy and fucked up things that hoover does he's like he's out of the country don't let him back in (laughs) isn't that crazy it's crazy that like they could do that it's crazy that that's the way he got rid of the guy it's just very strange it's insane i wrote down they've thrown you out out of what america it's kind. It is kind of wild that Charlie Chaplin a never got his citizenship, but also b that like you can just do that. Could could we do that to me? Could I like leave? Because honestly, wasn't that something? Yeah, honestly, if you kicked me out and I had to go fucking live in an airport like Tom Hanks in the terminal, oh fine. my god, great. I I'd also watch that airports. movie. You you raising your daughter in an airport? Yeah, would, yeah. Would watch. Um, I, so but like you speak English and you're yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. just different. Yeah, and you're not really into jazz, and you don't have a coffee can filled with your dad's sen- sentimental things. Um, I so the reason I bring this up is because first of all, Tally, I, I know that our audience or our listeners might think you were making up that couplet of dialogue, but that is the dialogue they've thrown That's you the out dialogue. of what America. <laughs> it's like, whew. don't you love that? Good stuff. Good stuff. This is a leap ahead, but this is the last thing that I wrote down. Okay. But that doesn't mean I don't have um, an hour more in me at least. (laughs) Um, 
near the end of the film before he yes. goes back to get his um honorary oscar mm-hmm. um he and anthony hopkins are talking on the porch and uh he's got his pancake on his face and yeah. he's wearing the skin um, of ed asner <laughs> and he starts to get a little snoozy mm-hmm. and it closes his eyes and anthony walks away <laughs> and so we've gone from like a medium to a wide and then it mm-hmm. says 10 years later <laughs> We punch back into a medium and he's still there. And there's a blanket on him. It's like they just left him there. It's like Rip Van Winkle. It's like he went to sleep for 10 years. 10 years later and just they like forgot to wheel him back in. So like Una then comes out and she's in aged makeup. And um, uh, but God, that edit was like crazy. Guys, don't do that because it was the exact same framing. Yep, yep. It's. It, I mean, love that. I loved it because it's ridiculous. I loved it because, <laughs> like, the, the idea that, like, in the editing room, the editor was like, "I got an idea." And they're like, "Love it." <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't get it. The ten-year jump also feels like. So the scene that you're speaking of as well, where um, Anthony Hopkins is like, don't, "They'd let you back into America now, like, just go." And yeah. Charlie's like. I I've gotten used to invitations or some shit like that where he's like I I don't want to go unless they invite me and this speaks sort of a little bit to what we were talking about earlier which is I think he genuinely thought America hates me now um, he felt a real obvious rejection and felt as though his art was you know I mean th- that everything was kind of meaningless um, so I can understand why he wanted the invitation I think if for you know for his ego and for just to feel um that welcoming again um and as i as i was going to say earlier in the clip of him at the oscars when he wins it um or when he's given the honorary award um he seems very emotional and he he seems genuinely without words uh he he doesn't really know how to kind of respond to this because i think it seems so jarring to him that they that they cared about him anymore. So he really doesn't say very much and I, and they don't show it. I don't think he was standing on the stage during the the actual presentation of, of the uh, montage of him. That would be odd. Um, Weird. I think that's obviously they just did that because they, whatever. Um, But it's a pretty interesting thing to watch that I I would, I would recommend people check out. It's, it's four minutes or something like that, but um, it's, he, yeah, I, I gave me a little bit of perspective, at least in the man at the end of his life in terms of, um, I mean, I think that I think Robert Downey Jr. does a fine job uh, portraying him. But uh, yeah, I personally and I don't know how you guys feel about this. When you watch a biographical picture um, and then they uh, show the real person at the end it can sometimes sort of chop the performance off at the knees. Yes. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, do you, do you sort of know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think about like the one that comes to mind and I don't think this is an example of that, but like what's love got to do with it. Angela Bassett's unbelievable in that film. Um, truly unbelievable. And then to see Tina Turner at the end, actually oddly kind of bolsters the performance and kind mm. of gives it the right weight. But do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I was going to mention, I don't, I don't love, the, I never love when 
they, this happens. But I thought, um, again, to bring it back to Elvis, I thought weirdly showing yes. footage of the real Elvis like yep. bolstered Austin yep. Butler, where you were like, oh, he did a really good job. I think if he wins the Oscar uh, at the Academy Awards, again, an organization that has done many wonderful things that we all love. Oh, but yeah. If he we wins the love. Oscar, I think it's because of that footage to a weird degree because you're like oh he really he really nailed it good for you austin butler which is such an academy thing they love a mimic they love a they love a performance that that i mean and and i don't mean to take anything away from those performances you know for instance i think that philip Seymour hoffman is very good as truman capote i don't mean to suggest that these performances aren't good but then that's amazing as lydia tar like that she's dead she does a tremendous lydia tar yeah but then i'm just like but then you got a rami malek and you're just like guys you gotta get off the drugs like you gotta you you have to like shake yourself free of these of these ridiculous notions of like he did a good job as freddie mercury and you're like no he did what i love about the rami malek one which is also like when john career won an emmy for two and a half men is when you win an award for having to put up with an impossible workplace situation <laughs> which like i should win that, more prizes that's, for, you know. that's actually perfect <laughs> they there should be awards for putting up with like you know what i mean it like you think about be. just terrible It'll sets be a good sport. You know? Yeah. 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 Big that, the Oscars should have a good sport award. They should have a good sport award. And they should have a couple. They should um, cuz uh I'm sure Tally you've been on some sets. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know that I don't know that I was a good sport every time. Um, um okay. I do do you guys remember there was like a viral tweet um rest in peace that was um like the Oscar for best editing goes to um wait what's the movie called again? Oh, you, the mean Rhapsody? Rhapsody? you mean Rhapsody? And then it had been subtweeted um uh <laughs> under do you mean most editing? And it's the <laughs> yeah, scene yeah. where they're writing is it the scene where they're writing Bohemian Rhapsody? It might be. But yeah. But it's a conversation around a table. That movie's psychotic. God. Well, the editor has disowned it. The editor who won the Oscar has said, I should not have won this Oscar. Like, he's even just like, this movie's bad. That was another situation where people were like, good for you putting up with it. If they had just added the good sport award, they could have given one to Rami Malek. They could have given one to the editor and we would have been on our way. And everybody really would have been, been like, great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But I, I do think that to your to your point emily sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does when you cut to the real person like for instance a movie that <laughs> i feel kind of bad for this movie because now it w- will live in infamy is king richard um the 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 will smith performance from last mm. year two years last year was it last, last year that was last year um it, it's which is crazy it feels like it's been 20 years but I um i uh i think the movie is fine i like the movie fine but i actually think that yeah. uh you can't go wrong with a montage of the Williams sisters playing tennis to Beyonce and footage of the, like it just, it all kind of just goes like, yeah, this, this is, this is the right way to end this movie. Mm-hmm. It's all just to say that I think that they might have benefited from showing the actual Charlie Chaplin winning the Oscar footage at the end of this movie. Yeah, I think showing actual Chaplin footage from his movies kind of just like is the final nail in the coffin on this movie. Cause I think it's just like, you're like, why did I not watch any of those? Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. I can't, I can't, I can't dispute that. I agree with you hundred uh, it, percent. It's yeah. I don't. So I, I, I do have a question for, for you guys. Two questions. In fact, 
Not to put you both on the spot, but I do have two yeah. questions. The oh, first boy. question is, favorite Robert Downey Jr. performance? Ooh. Mm. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's so good mm. in so many things. I think I'm going to go with... I think I'm going to go with, with Zodiac. I think great call. He's such a, he's so, like the thing I love about his kind of wilderness period mm-hmm. when he's sober, but he's not yet Iron Man is yep. he's like, got this like really reined in intensity. Yes. And I think he uses it. So my, my runner up is kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And I think like yeah. he uses that so well in both of those movies. I think, yes. um, yeah, I think, I think it's just brilliant. I'm I mean, that's go a with kiss, yeah. kiss, bang, bang um, yeah. today. Okay, it could change tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, it could change tomorrow. I do also love him as Iron Man. He just oozes. He is very, very good. He's so lovable. Yeah, I mean, I I, so I I really love Robert Downey Jr. I do think he's tremendous, and I do think that in sort of the '90s when he's at his perhaps most manic and kind of over the top crazy. is fun to watch. I just recently rewatched natural born killers and he is insane in that movie as like some sort of like Australian Geraldo Rivera type. That's just completely bonkers. And it is fun to watch, even though I can imagine the mountain of cocaine that was on set for natural born killers. Can't even imagine. But um, I also just went to see wonder boys at the Academy museum and he is tremendous in wonder boys um kind of one of the last movies before he cleans up but yeah we have another robert downey jr expert in the room right now oh, do we? i'm just gonna say oh, hey yeah. libby what's what's your favorite robert downey jr performance if you have one <laughs> she's looking at her phone she's thinking okay. about okay. Uh, okay. She has like she has like long uh, stand for this like 1994 movie I think called Heart and Souls which is good like movie uh, good yeah, movie which she's he's very good. really good in it. I can't. It's a good movie. I can't wait to watch movies. I can't wait to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> what is she? Is she, she sticking with Heart and Souls? She agrees with me on Zodiac, which is why we're married. So you, you know, because you, yeah. you love that. Yeah. He's yeah. really. I'll say if I have one, and this is just a nitpicky thing on Zodiac, is that I mm-hmm. feel like his character kind of disappears. Like his character doesn't get. I mean, this is an argument maybe for Zodiac as a whole, which is that it's a little anticlimactic. That's mm-hmm. kind of its its whole thing. Um, but he disappears from the movie, and I wish he was kind of in more of the tail end of it. But I understand why. But that, that's yeah. that's not his fault. But yeah. that's that's the thing about that movie is it's a it's a triptych of three guys who like have their lives consumed by this, and then gradually they're just like, you know what, I can't do this anymore, and they go off and do something else. Except Jake Gyllenhaal, who goes into a guy's basement and nearly gets murdered. So, yeah. which is great. Um, here's my second question to you guys as as we as we wrap this up. My question is: Do you have a favorite biographical picture? Do you have one that sort of jumps out at you as so I, I'll go first so you guys can can think on that for a second. Mm-hmm. I think and this is kind of uh, maybe an odd one, but Nixon might actually be my oh, favorite yeah. biographical picture. That's fun. It's, yeah, it's a fun pick. That's a fun pick. It's yeah. it's a really good movie that actually sort of tries to grapple with this very complicated man and why he is the way he is it's kind of this like speaking of a movie that's like you know bloated perhaps it's a beast of a movie it's this like long three-hour journey into this 
into this man um, that feels almost Shakespearean in its kind of uh, treatment of, of a obviously a notoriously problematic individual. But Emily, do you have, do you have one by any chance? Oh boy. I do think Lincoln is quite good. Lincoln. I think that that is like that kind of breaks from the biographical picture uh, mold and like that, that to its, to its benefit. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I really, I, but I do, if, I think that Capote's another one that does a really good job of finding a space yep. in between the mm. traditional and like telling a story about this person. Um, yeah, I actually, I'm going to say like traditional biographical yep. Yep. picture. My favorite's Coal Miner's Daughter. I think that oh, is wow. a, I've not a seen terrific little movie about uh, a woman who, uh, you know, is, is Sissy Spacek's obviously fantastic in it, but it is, it is the kind of figure when you make a bio- biographical picture about a musician, you're playing with fire and like that movie just, just nails and Sissy Spacek nails that thing. And I, I honestly think Elvis does some of the same. Like I, I, I don't agree. love everything about that movie, but I think it, it, yeah. I, you know, I'll say this too, you know, you, you Emily, you brought this up earlier in terms of the fact that thankfully um, we as an industry have been freed of the shackles of the the uh, cradle to grave biopic where you're forced to sort of tell the whole mm, yes. person's life. Um, you know, and, and Lincoln does seem to be one of the first that did it. And I think that's probably because Tony Kushner gave, I think, Steven Spielberg a 500 page first draft. And Spielberg was like, mm, I think we might need to focus this a little bit. Um, so I, I do think that there's something kind of great about that. But then the other one that comes to mind is Steve Jobs in terms of how it tries to sort of in very Sorkin way, try to find a way into telling this story. First of all, obviously, it's fucking behind the scenes because the man loves a behind the scenes story. Um, But just that idea of uh, telling this man's story in that way, I thought was really interesting. I think it's a really interesting biopic. Acknowledge the Apple II team, Phil. Acknowledge the Apple II team. I'm sorry, I can't. Tally, do you have a a favorite or or one that jumps to mind? Is there something about a biographical picture? that a friend of mine went to college with a kid who Mm. had been homeschooled and came from a place where there wasn't maybe a movie theater and also their access to media was really limited. Was it me? No. (laughs) You weren't even born yet. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Teen mom over here. Yeah, true. Um. (laughs) And so during like the orientation week and like everybody arriving at the dorms, people would be talking about their favorite movies, television, that kind of thing. And this kid would say, sounds like a good movie. Can't say I've seen it. (laughs) And that's a number one, a really good Southern accent. And number two, that's me. So um Did I make you a t shirt that says that? Sounds like a good movie. Can't say I've seen it. (laughs) Don't you love that? It's great. It's great. I love it so much. (laughs) So um the further I um Mm -hmm. walk down my happy lane of being a part of the the world of film and television where I always wanted to live, I've learned that I haven't seen any movies. And that's why I say that. (laughs) Um so that said, I loved Jackie. I don't I like I thought, yeah, yeah, and that score, my God, and um, there's an episode of Drunk History where um, I think it's Crystal West um covers Harriet Tubman, and it is awesome. It's so good. Harriet Tubman fucking 
my god. Yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I, I was not expecting. I don't know. I was not expecting uh, the episode of Drunk History about Harriet Tubman to be at the top of your biographical <laughs> pictures, but <laughs> I love it. I love rewatch. it. I love it. I'm sure it's great. Uh, Tally, it's uh, so good. Tally, having worked on on the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, and yes. it, it seems to me like Daniels have seen every movie ever made. Like, what what were your conversations with them like? Yeah. Where they would be like, you know, this movie, and you'd be like, hmm, that sounds like a good movie. Can't say I've seen it. <laughs> Can't say I've seen it. <laughs> you know what? I don't. I have no idea. Hmm. I don't remember like what we talked about. But actually, I'm sure. glad that you brought that up because they're doing. Um, listeners won't be able to attend this because mm. they're going to be listening to it in the future yes. but they have a in weekend of programming at lincoln center oh wow uh That's this cool. weekend and tonight i'm seeing the grandmaster and then um mm, sure. sunday there's a shorts program that i'm really excited about i couldn't tell you off the top of my head what's in it um they are showing the music video for set it off by diplo have you seen it it's yeah. this oh my god it's so good it's um like this perpetual pole dancers oh wow. um it's beautiful cool. and um and then they're also screening holy motors and i've never seen holy motors so that's, um that's a lot of movie right there that's i'm really excited yeah um i mean the grandmaster is uh, beautiful yeah. as well i mean that's that's really interesting choices yeah um, and they're doing yeah. a double feature of kung fu hustle in the matrix too Oh, sure. Man. Right. Wow. You can uh, cool. you can listen to uh, the two part episode with Emily on uh, podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine when we talk about the Matrix. Which Holy was shit! An amazing, yeah. amazing episode. I came My... on to talk about trans representation and just was like, let's tear down capitalism, shall we? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, oh my god! Yeah. I, yeah. My brilliant playwright friend Else went um, uh, is being mentored right now by Lily Wachowski. Mm. Oh wow! Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. No, that's and crap. they were talking about how um the red pill is it's the hormone <laughs> Wait, what's what is that i can't remember what it's called it's the red tablet it's it literally... was i don't remember i think it was called premarin at the time i i it's I like so. now it's estradiol but yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's amazing getting red pilled is um yeah heaven welcome uh, getting, getting... <laughs> it is it's... <laughs> getting fun babe let's get fun yeah <laughs> i um I mean, so at the end of our episodes, Tally, we uh, we rate the films um, from uh, when we saw them uh, from zero to nineteen zero to ninety nine in 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 uh, in uh, honor of our previous podcast podcast like nineteen eighty nine. So I will go first. Um, I saw this film around nineteen ninety two. Might have even weirdly seen it in the theater. I have a vague recollection of maybe seeing it. It was one of those. It was one of those. And, you know, I, 12, I was 12 in 1992. And I do feel like that was when I was sort of activated in the whole like Oscar thing and like, you know, getting into movies in a, in a real way. So I imagine I was like, yeah, I should see the Charlie Chaplin biopic or whatever. That being said, I liked it in 92. I probably might have even probably given it like a 70 or something like that. Like I probably 70, 75. I probably thought it, I don't feel the same way about this film. Um I will say, though, I don't know that I would not like tell a person, although I did say it several times on this episode, I don't know that I would say don't watch Chaplin because I do think that there are some things that are positive about it, some of the performances. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at like a I'm at like a 50. That's where I'm at yeah. now. I'm like right yeah. on the line of of recommending and not recommending this movie. 
it feels like really irresponsible filmmaking. Um, I can't champion this movie. I'm really disappointed. Profound. I'll go ahead and sure. say profoundly disappointed okay. given the source material. Mm-hmm. Now I feel I was going to say like in the low 40s, but now that I've said that, I'm going 30s. Wow. Okay. I like it. I like it. What about you, Emily? Yeah. I obviously didn't see this at the time. Um, sure. Cause I, it's, I did the, weirdly, this is not the other movie I saw yeah. in theaters after Aladdin. Okay. Oh. Um, I, uh, I'm going to give it a 40 because I think this is a bad movie. I think okay. it's a very bad movie, but it is bad in a way I miss. It is bad in a kind of mm. dopey uh, on the nose over obvious way where I'm laughing yeah. at the movie for how, <laughs> like how little it trusts me to get the point. Yeah. We don't have enough of that anymore. Now it's just like kind of bland. Like the worst movies are just kind of bland or they're like wildly irresponsible. And this is, this is both of those things, but like in a way that is so condescending to me as a viewer that yeah. I'm like, thank you, please. I guess I, what I'm saying is I like being punished. So <laughs> yeah, this movie right. is, yeah, it is amazing. It's, it's, it goes past spoon feeding to like hitting you with the spoon. Like it's just, <laughs> it, it really is just sort of like, do you get it? Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys capsule. wholeheartedly. It is a real time capsule. Um, so Tally, I do want to ask, uh, next week we are covering a film. I don't know if you've seen this film. My guess is maybe not, but I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, have you seen Single White Female? Is that a movie that you've oh, seen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I've seen that movie. The films of 1992. <laughs> Tally, if I have to step down, you should be the new permanent guest. <laughs> yes, yes. 100%. Then I'll finally see some movies. Yeah. That'll be good. Um, But in the middle, just now when I said, oh, yes, in between the O and the yes, I was like, wait, have I seen the movie? (laughs) Because the other thing is my memory is a disaster. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, This is uh, the Jennifer Jason Lee, Bridget Fonda um, roommate movie. Yes. So we're 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 covering it next week with uh, the co-hosts of the Queer Quadrant podcast. Brooke Solomon and Jordan Gustafson came on to talk about Single White Female, a really cool. successful movie, a movie that made a boatload of money um, and was part of sort of this, uh, I don't even, genre of 90s movies of sort of like oversexed thrillers about yeah. crazy oversexed people. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who directed uh, it was uh, oh my god! Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Barbara Schroeder, of course. Which of is course. Not, it's his follow up to his Academy Award nomination for Reversal of Fortune, and yeah, weirdly he didn't get one for Single White Female, which is crazy. But it's this is the year where you've got like Single White Female, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. like it's just a real kind of murderer's row, no pun intended. But um, what are your thoughts on Single White Female? Did it? Did did you? As a as a young as a teenager, possibly watch that see film it until I oh, was okay. an adult. And okay. um, the thing that's resonating with me right now is how fucking hot Bridget Fonda is. In it. That haircut, <laughs> that it's haircut is so good. <laughs> it is, yeah, I know what you're. Yeah, you're right. But um, so cool. And doesn't she yeah. wear like a white tank a lot? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I feel I feel like that movie if you are in queer spaces at all just kind of like just kind of like come it was like incepted into you (laughs) I had never seen it until we watched it for this and I Mm -hmm. still was like I've seen every moment of this because I exist (laughs) yeah yes although do you think Emily because you mentioned this earlier uh are they good female characters (laughs) 
I can't decide. Great. Um, yes, but not because of the movie. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, 100%. No, 100%. Like the idea yeah. of them is are good female characters sure. in a weird yes. way. I it's forgot to male gazy in a weird way. Yeah. So you're just it's very, I forgot I mean, it's to, camp. Yeah. So yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot to rank Chaplin on the queer phobia scale. Oh, I'm yeah. going to give it a, a yeah. I don't know. I'm going to give it a, a three because you just know a lot of people in this movie were homophobic. Oh, 100% for sure. Like including, it's not in the movie itself. But... Including Hoover, who I believe was, yeah. was gay. <laughs> so He was a, yeah. He, he, there's yeah. there's some speculation that that was made up by his enemies, but. Uh, oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. But yes. So, that, what, so then they're homophobic. Then they're homophobic. Yeah. So that's. Somebody around J. Edgar Hoover was homophobic. We can feel very comfortable in saying <laughs> that. I do think, I, I do think on the single white female front, it is interesting to sort of piggyback on what you were saying, Emily, about how um, iconic it is. Like it is, first of all, it's almost a verb, like single white femaling somebody is it like is a thing. It is a verb. And like, as you just mentioned, Tally, that look that Bridget has in the movie, and even just, I would, I would go even farther as to sort of just the aesthetic of the movie. It's like you immediately know everything about, a, about that movie, even though I had never seen it in its entirety either. There is something about you hit play and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, sure. Yeah, totally. Like she's going to throw the puppy off the, off the balcony. Like, it's just, it's, it's weird shit that you're just like, it's all it's all there um but yeah it, it's bridget fonda had a had a big uh, a big 1992 so you know, good, for her. good for her right real quick my friend yes, uh uh used to her freshman dorm experience her roommate um would hide all her empty tuna cans underneath my friend's bed <laughs> like as a fuck you yeah that <laughs> violent it's so scary isn't that, yeah, that so scary that is pretty it's that's, part, it's, that's great it's upsetting it's upsetting it's so rude. uh uh phil before before we yes, end please. the program i i want to ask i feel like i have you, you mentioned that old that nick nolte was originally going to play old chaplain <laughs> i feel like i have a pretty good nick nolte like old nick nolte tally do you can you do a british accent or can can you can you play mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins and just mm-hmm. throw me some stuff here? We're going to see how this would work, would have worked. Okay. Oh, let me no. see. Um, listen, all you can do is try, right? Okay. <laughs> just getting my jaw soft. <laughs> um, so he's like, oh, oh uh, cool. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> okay. Listen. Did you little, smell something bad? No, no. Uh, oh, shit. Okay, hold on. You kind of had it. It's only yeah. But in the other, it was only 500 pages into the autobiography. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I thought the autobiography should be 700 pages because anyway, I'm Charlie I've Chaplin. Phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't even I'm not done talking. I'm Chaplin. <laughs> They kicked me out of America. I don't ever go back. Um, the thing about Nick Nolte, and I would argue uh, uh, James, uh, James, oh my God, uh, Jeff Bridges, is that both of them sound like they're like eating tin cans at this point. Like they're just, mm. they're like goats, just gnarly, gnarly away <laughs> on something. It's it's pretty amazing how the English language has basically escaped them in their older age. But the thing about Nick Nolte at this point is that he's like America's sexiest. Like he literally was like named people's sexiest man, like in 1991. 
Isn't that something? It was Was it? Might have been. I don't know. Maybe it was. He was too busy on the shoot to be. uh... Well, no. I mean, he because in Prince of Tides, he's like hot Nolte, and that's ninety one. He's 1992's Sexiest Man Alive. We got to do a Nolte episode. I'm just going to look. See, and that's what that I need is, is that that's he was what I'm saying. with the People magazine photographers yeah. to to come play old Chaplin. But it's also, he's not summer. that old, is my point. That's kind of. what I was going to say, Phil. He's not old enough anyway. Not old enough to play old Charlie. I don't know. I They'd have no, to put makeup on him too. This is yes. the thing. This is a movie about time travel, and it's going to be... <laughs> 2023 Nick Nolte traveling back and being like, that's when I married another teenager. That one didn't work out either. I do think that Nick Nolte from the Hulk as old Charlie Chaplin is, I mean, I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Let's do it. It's great. Well, let's get this movie greenlit today. We we could do this. Um, Tally, I just want to say thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us. I'm, I'm you're welcome what about an this pleasure about this dog shit movie and it's and why sad. and why it's not uh go watch charlie chaplin's movies guys don't watch this That's fucking the thing. Takeaway. <laughs> just you know but honestly i mean such a thrill to meet you and to come on and and talk about this with us it's, uh just please come back. please come oh back. my god anytime you... i'm pissed i'm we're not doing this tomorrow <laughs> do you do you have anything you want to plug do you have yes. anything, anything you want to how to tell well, people first, to watch. Let me just wipe my perfect little nose. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful nose. I was wonderful you, nose. Emily. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much longer it's on movie, mm. but my dance comedy space odyssey forty minute film Snowy Bing Bongs Across the North Star Combat Zone, executive produced by Daniels, edited by Oscar nominee Paul Rogers. Oh wow! Um, on our okay. movie. Um, starring myself and Cocoon Central Dance Team, Eleanor Pienta and Sunita Mani. It's still on movie, I believe. Um, and so catch it. But then also it's going to be free again on YouTube. So up to you. Okay. Um, but I'm really proud of our movie. Um, very stupid. It's really stupid. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really proud of the Dance Elite film 14. Um, it's that was uh, came out in recent years. Um, check out Dan Salit; he's an American treasure. And um, register for my clown classes when um, you're in New York or when I'm around, because they're really um, uh, you'll, they'll just make you fall in love with your classmates. I I want to say that I I've watched a number of your shorts and things like that, and they're so good and they're so fun. Thank you, and people people should go check them out. Um, in addition to you know, obviously the very famous oscar nominated film that you're in which you're very good in so i was just gonna say that i i rewatched uh everything everywhere all at once last week um i I bought the the 4k blu-ray of it and i was watching it um and it's a it's a phenomenal movie that everybody should watch and i i I, you know um you and stephanie are so adorable together like it's ridiculous how cute you guys are like you know what she's um Dan and Daniel were polling for me for the role of Becky, um, who also the last name is for Gore in that movie. It's just the inverse of um, Rogers because Becky Rogers is married to our editor, Paul Rogers. Isn't that oh, that's, so cute? That's um, and Steph and I have been friends for a very long time from the New York comedy scene. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Ooh, what if Tally is Becky? So it was like separately, like all three of them little oh god the, the movie is such a love a little love 
And uh, I was, I'm so happy that, that we got to do it together. And also everybody thinks I'm taller um, than I am. I'm only five feet tall, but because our whole Stephanie cast is, is so tiny. <laughs> Stephanie <laughs> is three so foot something. When, <laughs> when, I, when I met you, I was shocked that, that you were not Thank taller. You. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. It, I mean, it, it really is just... Um, I mean, listen, I watch, as I said, I watched the movie again the other day. And if you don't cry at the end of that film, I think there might be something wrong with you. But just because it is such a like joyous, the, it, the movie is just like barreling towards this ending at such a sort of crazy, rapid rate yeah. that, that the, the release that you get when emotionally these characters are able to sort of be the people that they're you know destined to be is yeah. really lovely um and also i i it's one of one of my favorite moments in the rewatch was that uh moment you have with james wong at the very end oh, uh is so adorable so it's it's just absolutely wonderful so thank you, know. you so much it really meant the world to me to get to have that moment to get to play that character to get to have that moment it's james it's really wong. it's really lovely that's a whole oh my yeah, God. yeah I mean that talk about a career that's just like oh wow yeah, I mean James yeah. it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing I I also think I don't know I mean I can't even imagine what it's like to to act in a scene with someone like you know Michelle Yeoh where it's just like she's just bringing so much history to to you know to this role it's such pretty a, a loving amazing person Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> this cast are you yeah. kidding me kihei kwan yeah are you kidding me <laughs> it's it it really it's so funny because i remember uh not to not to turn this into a podcast about um everything everywhere all at once but we i'll just say tried to be end- we've been ending this we've been trying to end and i promise hour. that i promise that this is I how we will end it yeah. i promise that this is how we are wrapping up no, but i'll just say that it's only come back to end yeah it. nick nolte's gonna come back yeah. but it'll be fine <laughs> Um, well, you know, just one one little cherry on top of Nick Nolte. But I'll just say this: I remember when the trailer um, came out for Everything Everywhere, and it was an amazing trailer. And I was like, "Well, obviously, Ooh. I want to see this," and I was really excited about it. It comes out in March, and then to see it stay in the consciousness for basically an entire year yeah. is just is such a, a testament to everything that you guys have done. Isn't so, it cool? And like Echo Kwan said, I'm I'm gonna butcher what she said. She's um Key's wife and an incredible person. She's she was also our translator on set. And she um talks about how like the soul of our film is drawing draw drew all these souls to the project too. It's like and watching it I feel is more of a roller coaster than it is a film it's one of those movies that you can't just put on lightly it's really going to take you somewhere yeah and making it and being a part of this like it just feels um so wonderful to have it like snowballing as an emotional experience like over everything else has been so meaningful um Sorry, go ahead. No, I don't. Yeah, otherwise I would have blathered. I have been frequently comparing it to The Matrix in terms of like how it feels like it's tapped into like a subtextual thing in our culture that we're all just kind of like, and I think it's going to inspire a lot of filmmakers in a similar way. And like, I'm I'm very uh, excited about that. And um, I, excited I totally that. agree. And I also, I was watching, um, Daniel was on a, a round table and he said something really interesting about how, you know, they were writing it around the time of Trump 
getting elected and sort yeah. of this idea of feeling inundated with everything coming at you all at once and feeling that you couldn't escape it. And I think what's what I love about what they did with this film is that they kind of turned that into a movie about everything as opposed to a movie that's sort of trying to attack you like the world felt like back in 2017 and 2018. Um, and that it just has so much to say, unlike yeah. Chaplin, which has unlike nothing to say. Unlike Chaplin. But Talon, well, folks, just... <laughs> it's been another He's good back. episode of podcast like it's 1992. Um, so I just want to say thank you so, so much. Is there any way, are you on social media? Can people be following you? Oh, or yeah. No? Okay. Do you want to plug your, your various socials or I'm only no? going to plug at okay. Tally Medell. That's my Instagram. Okay, I've okay. tried, listen, um, <laughs> I have a TikTok. I never use it. That's, mm. you know, I shouldn't say that because sometimes I do yeah. and I have a dang blast, but mostly Instagram is where I live. Okay. Well, people should follow you there and they should uh, go watch or buy everything everywhere <sighs> all at once. Yes. Um, and if there are any Academy members listening, vote yeah, for it. Um, but thank you so, so much. And we can't wait to have you back to talk about maybe like a better movie the next time. Let's see. That sounds I mean, like one of my movies. Yeah, Nikki. Nikki's back. Come on, Come on for the Nick Nolte 92 sexiest. <laughs> what was, yeah, was he in something in 92? Him. What was he in know. in '92? Let's let's check it. This is now, this is. I mean, this is gonna now that now the episode is truly ending. We're checking yeah. Nick Nolte's. <laughs> I'm just curious if he had a movie in '92. Did he? Yeah. No. I'm 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 looking. Okay. I'm looking. We're gonna see what happens here. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. 1992. He's in. He's in Lorenzo's Oil and The Player. We're gonna we're gonna have a we're great. Definitely time covering talking yeah, Nolte. He's barely in The Player, but he's very <laughs> yeah. much in Lorenzo's Oil. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> playing awesome. a a uh, a Spanish person, a, a Latin person, something like that. It's, oh, it's that great. hurts! Uh, Thank it's God. Gonna be great. This is going to um, be a great episode. Thank you so so much, Tally. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, I miss us. <laughs> I miss Bye. us too. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.